Welcome back to episode 201 of the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. The Wizard of Oz was a book written in 1900 by L. Frank Baum, which was then turned into a movie in 1939. So almost 40 years later, it was turned into a movie. The Wizard of Oz contains multiple hidden meanings with a ton of metaphysical allegory weaved into the fabric of the movie. This is actually the most psychedelic movie that I've ever seen. I mean, I did watch this movie when I was a kid, probably eight years old or something. I vaguely remember the flying monkeys and, you know, the witch saying, I'm melting. I've probably seen it a couple of times, but I wasn't in the frame of mind to understand the deeper meanings of this movie in the first place. And secondly, I was a kid. So, you know, who's, who's thinking about a Carl Jung and the archetypes. So I hopped on YouTube and, you know, punched in Wizard of Oz for a movie popped up and I was watching the movie and right probably within the first 10 minutes of the movies, I said to myself, this movie I mean, forget Terrence McKenna, man. This movie is like hyper, hyper psychedelic. So, you know, I hopped on, <laughs> I hopped on Google and I looked up what year they discovered DMT. And that was discovered in 19... And I'm not trying to promote any kind of drugs or anything like that. We're talking, you know, psychology, but it does get enmeshed. All of these different things get enmeshed into one, you know, due to our ability to perceive and see things. We're, we're looking at things at a much deeper level, so... I'm just getting into details here. So yeah, DMT was discovered in 1931 and uh, LSD was discovered in 1938. This 1938, this movie came out in 1939. Hmm. The Wizard of Oz is an esoteric allegorical metaphor of the duality of existence expressed in darkness and light. On this case, I don't know if it was darkness. I think it was sapia as opposed to black and white. As the movie starts, we are introduced to the six main characters of this masterpiece of a movie. Dorothy plays herself, Hickory plays a farmhand, and he also plays the Tin Man. Hunk plays the role of a farm farmhand, but he also plays the role of Scarecrow. Zeke plays the role of a farmhand, and he also plays the role of the Cowardly Lion. So Almira Gulch plays, which is the rich woman, plays the role of the rich antagonist ruling class woman who also plays the role of the Wicked Witch of the West. And last but not least, Professor Marvel, Professor Marvel plays the psychic fortune teller trickster. He also plays five other roles, which are the gatekeeper, the carriage driver, you know, with the horse of a different color, that, that thing. Um, he also plays the role of the guard at the palace door. And finally, he plays the role of the Wizard of Oz himself. And, you know, now that I look at it and thinking about it, the way the screen is presenting this Wizard of Oz, it's like this all-knowing, all-powerful, able to do everything. But underneath, he's actually useless and is unable to do anything, right? So... Dorothy and these three other characters, the Tin Man and such, Scarecrow and the Lion, come to the wizard looking for answers to their questions, looking for their own identity, looking for 
the prime mover in their life. In other words, what is life all about? They come to the wizard looking for that. And he is just a trickster, a hoaxer, pulling levers, and he is unable to do anything, which to me also means that we need to find the truth within ourself. You know, our ability to answer the questions and finding the answers to those questions within ourselves, that nothing external is going to be able to do that for us because, again, represented by this bumbling wizard, you know, they're coming to him looking for a brain, looking for a heart, looking for courage, right? Looking to get back to Kansas. But none of them are able to, this this wizard guy was unable to provide that because he was just bumbling and they're looking outside of themselves. So to me, it really does re reflect finding the answers within oneself or realizing the true self. And one of the things that really, really blew me away if as the movie opens and you know she's on the farm in Kansas with her aunt and uncle and she's you know going out to the yard and you know there's the farm hands that are helping out i'm observing them and then when she flips to because this this movie actually is a representation of like the dao or the yin and yang because to, in my opinion toto the dog represents the dao or intuition right or expression of nature because nature doesn't you don't you don't tell nature to stop you're good today you're bad today nature does what it does you know like trees bear fruit and such right so you know winter summer fall the seasons progress as they go so nature has its own course so it doesn't fit in a box so total represents this um man man within nature and man being working with nature and being a part of nature you know and it's interesting because i see these characters as they're playing their roles in in again in kansas so yeah so the the expression of this movie in in that it's darkness and light in the beginning of the movie it's it's black and white and it's at a very like one-dimensional view you know she's on the farm and there's chickens and there's her uncle and aunts and they fix it these farm helpers are fixing a wagon that's part a but once she lands in oz and uh opens the door right now the movie becomes technicolor in, in full color from sapio or black and white to full color and that is the flip side of the Tao, the darkness and the light the duality of existence right and these characters, as they are expressed in the beginning of the movie in Kansas, so in other words, I'll call it darkness because it was like the black and white. Uh, they're there playing their role, but when they go into the light side of the yin and yang or the, of the duality, you still see them there, which is the, th the threat of, of their soul, in other words, who they actually are, irregardless of the role that's being played, but it's their transition from existence to existence to existence in that you know they're in kansas but now you're going to see them in emerald city and it's the same person but it's almost like a different costume or a meat wagon or they're playing like an avatar you know what i mean but it's the same consistent person underneath beneath the surface it's the soul traveling through existence you know trying to reach the perfection of existence to be able to reside in the presence of our creator or God, right? You know, I'm, I'm Christian or, you know, I follow Jesus, put it that way. I'm not a, 
you know, church-going Christian, such like that in any big groups, but I have a one-on-one relationship with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. So I say that because this movie, and you'll hear me speaking here about, you know, psychedelics and such like that. I'm just a human being, and I'm also traveling through this existence, you know. So we have things to learn as as these things these things unfold movies events whatever our life so there's a lot there's a lot really going on here but as these characters are playing both roles the wizard guy he that actor plays six roles in the movie he also plays the wizard of oz so it's kind of crazy but i think it's done on purpose to see that you know this is just these are just meat wagons and we progress through this existence uh, not not so much that there's a beginning or end or anything like that, but it's just the path that life the path that life takes and the way it unfolds naturally, right? So interesting, just a really interesting observation as I watch the movie. Now this is just another of the interpretations of the movie, and this is pretty much factual. Uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, even uh, L. Frank Baum kind of admitted it. And it has to do with uh, the financial system or the banking system of our country. As you know, in 1913, you know, Creature from Jekyll Island, that that book by um, G. Edward Griffith exposes, you know, the whole, uh, the whole Jekyll Island thing with the creation of money out of debt. But the Yellow Brick Road represents gold and Originally, Dorothy did not wear ruby slippers. In, in the book itself, L. Frank Baum's book, she wore silver slippers walking on the yellow brick or golden road because his expression is that, you know, you don't create money out of thin air. You know, it has to be real. So that's just kind of like a side note. You can, there's an interpretation of the whole financial system and the economy and everything embedded within the book too. So that's just one of its many meanings. But I figured I would just touch on that real quick. So as the movie opens, we see Dorothy, uh, you know, strolling on, you know, up the road with her, with her Toto, with her dog. Uh, and this to me, you know, when I see Dorothy it represents the mo- the soul moving through its journey in life. And t- as I said before, Toto to me represents the, the right brain, the Tao Te Ching intuition, imagination. Okay. He represents the hidden forces of nature that we, the patterns that are the hidden forces of nature within patterns that we see around us, you know, and it's because you cannot, again, fit Toto in a box. He does what he's going to do, but it just ends up that every time he, he'll do something against the grain, it's for his betterment, you know, or it's for the betterment of Dorothy or the advancement through life. You know, he's following uh, the Tao. You know, just to put it in that way, you know, he's following, making observation and then adjusting to what's presented to him as opposed to trying to force what's in front of him. He's flowing with it, so to speak. So, yeah. So as the movie begins, we see, uh, the story begins, we see this Almira Almira Gulch rich woman confronting uh, Dorothy's aunt and uncle with regard to Toto, the dog. And she says that the dog has to get put down, has to, Elmira Gulch is saying this, the rich woman is saying that Toto, Dorothy's dog, needs to get put away and because it's a threat and it gets on her land and it bit her. And the way I see it also, the metaphor or the allegory here I see is that 
Elmira Gulch is like the ruling class and they want to take our nature away from us or who, you know, who we actually are. They want to inhibit us and just have us as drones, you know, taking away all creativity, taking away the Tao from us. And that's how, that's how I see that. So in this scene, ultimately, we see uh, Elmira Gulch actually convincing uh, Dorothy's aunt and uncle that, to give up the dog, Toto, which it's a little dog. He's like a little 15-pound dog. You see it in the movie. Um, ultimately, Elmira Gulch gets the Toto and puts it in her basket, hops on the bike, and is riding away. But as she's riding away, Toto pop, pops his head up out of the basket and hops out, uh, running away and... What ends up happening is that he ends up running back to Dorothy and Dorothy scoops up Toto and says, you know what? I want to, I got to get out of here because um, this is not going to work out for us because they're going to want you, they're going to want to put you down. And so I guess she's combining two things in one. She's pursuing her higher purpose in life and she is also taking Toto along with her, which is the intuition, which is the doubt. She's taking that with her because it will never fail her. So she's off, uh, and on her path, she runs into this charlatan or this psychic-type dude, and his name is Professor Marvel. Now, this is the guy that he plays six characters in the movie. So this Professor Marvel character <clears throat> is a real trickster. And uh, he ends up, they end up having conversation. You know, he has like this wagon, which he travels in, I guess, like a covered wagon. And uh, like he, he lives in there or whatever. But he has all of his uh, stuff and his props and everything. So he engages Dorothy in conversation and somehow kind of sneak peeks into her stuff and sees a picture of her and her auntie. So he looks into a crystal ball and says to uh, Dorothy, oh, you know, I see a woman and she's holding her chest and all this and that. And, you know, she's falling to the ground. And then Dorothy's like, oh, yeah, that's my auntie. I got to go, you know, I got to go rescue her right now. So she ends up um, running out of the, the guy's covered wagon and running, you know, looking for her mom or her auntie, rather, and ends up running back. So really this guy played a trick on her, but it's interesting the way it, it it unfolds you know the way it goes on because like she's trying to figure all of these things out you could see it and it's not really bad acting it's you know that's they used to act kind of like that was the foundations in the beginning of acting but she does a great job getting getting that message across how she's dealing with these issues in front of her makes it really interesting so long story short um you know she meets this professor marvel he kind of tricks her up you know plays a trick on her and she, now she's running back home Dorothy's running back home to the farm in Kansas, but as you see her running, you see off in a distance, you see like, I guess they refer to it as a twist or a big, big tornado, and it's coming through, and it's basically headed right towards Dorothy, her home, you know, her aunt and uncle, and the whole schmigago, right? So this, this big tornado's coming at her from the distance in one of these big Kansas fields. So you see the aunt and uncle opening up, you know, the uh, basement, flap door that kind of lays flat down and they're hopping into the basement and closing their door behind them and Dorothy comes running up right at that moment too when the doors close to that little basement entrance so they're in safety on the ground covered by the doors so Dorothy tries to open up the door and she can't so she ends up running back into the house now this is where the movie gets like crazy psychedelic the house itself 
gets swept up into the tornado. And as Dorothy looks out of the window of the room that she's in, in, the, in this house, which is swept up into the tornado, she sees Almira Gulch transforming into, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West. And she sees, you know, people in her life flash by in the window and they're waving at her and saying hi and everything like that. And this is, I see this as a transition from lower consciousness to higher consciousness, seeing things at a much deeper level is what I read this as, this part of the movie where she's swept up in, into this tornado. It's the transition because ultimately what this ends up happening is she sees all of these um, manifestations or expressions of life in this window, right? You have, as you see the uh, the movie, you'll see what I mean. It's hard to explain, you know, in a podcast, like just in words verbatim. But she sees all of these things in the window as it's being swept through the uh, tornado, as the tornado is carrying the house away, and it ends up, uh, it's r- crazy. You got to see it. But it ends up, uh, this house ends up landing on a field, and uh, the field is in the land of Oz. And it ends up landing on top of the wicked, a wicked witch with the, the only thing left that you see is her, her ruby shoes sticking out of the bottom of the house. So the minute that the house lands, Dorothy opens up the door and the movie goes from being black and white, it goes into being technicolor, like really bright. And again, like I said, this is the flip side of, um, you know, the yin and yang or the other, you know, the duality of everything. So she comes out and she's immediately um, greeted by um, like this fairy woman that her name is Galinda. So the way I see it, she's representing light. And the Wicked Witch of the West is represented evil or the darkness, right? So right away, Galinda shows up and, you know, starts talking to Dorothy and and saying, oh, you know, what kind of witch are you and where you're from and how you killed, landed your house. You were able to land that house and killed the Wicked Witch of the East, whatever, whatever these witch things are. So Galinda kind of blinks like, uh, like Jeannie from the old movies from the old uh, uh, comedy show in the 60s. There's like a doink, like winks, and all of a sudden the ruby slippers go from uh, the Wicked Witch that's under the house that was killed onto Dorothy's feet. So at that very point, the Wicked Witch, I don't know, what, what East to West, I guess the Wicked Witch of the West um, pops out uh, darkness and light. You know, you have Galinda Light and then Wicked Witch of the West, which is darkness and duality. And this Wicked Witch of the West is demanding that Dorothy give her the, the ruby slippers. But I think the, the, the metaphor to me of the slippers is kind of like a philosopher's stone thing. And the slippers represent, I, I would say something like virtue or like the highest purpose of man. And this witch is trying to take that away from Dorothy because when you have that higher purpose, that's really what the key of life is. I mean, it, it's, it can mean so many things different people, different interpretations, depending on how you look at it. But there's, there's layers to this, but ultimately, um, they confront one another and the wicked witch of the West says, okay, I'm not getting the slippers now, my pretty, but I will, I will eventually get you and your dog too. Like, you know, just trying to throw that, cast that whole fear spell out there so that she'll have some type of control of Dorothy. But Dorothy, um, he was learning very quickly, you know, on, on this journey, on this travel of what it's really all about. And it's all unfolding and you could see it, you know, the way she plays a role and acts it out and everything like that. It's kind of, 
kind of deep, especially for a movie that came out in 1939. Anyway, so this Wicked Witch is is uh, trying to control Dorothy with fear, and she's unable to do it. So as we continue, Galinda and uh, Dorothy are together, and Dorothy says to oh, Galinda says to Dorothy, "You have to be careful because now you have an enemy, the Wicked Witch of the West, and she has it in for you. But as long as you wear the ruby slippers, they're going to protect you. Whatever." whatever that is representation then um dorothy says well how do i get back home how do i get to kansas and galinda says to her the only way you'll be able to do that is you have to go to the emerald city and visit uh, the wizard of oz that's where the song comes from follow the yellow brick road and uh yeah that's uh her instructions to to dorothy so now dorothy's whole plan is that she has to go down this yellow brick road to go to Emerald City to meet the Wizard of Oz. And what the yellow brick road really does represent is especially for a young person, the trial of life or what they call a rite of passage, you know, that you have to meet certain recommendations or certain levels or milestones in life before you can progress to a higher level or in order to get from a low level of consciousness to a high level of consciousness that requires you know, that you pay the dues for that and do the heavy lifting required to, to, to make that uh, a reality for yourself to reach high levels of consciousness. So it's interesting the way that that is expressed here. And as Dorothy starts down the yellow brick road, the first character that she runs into is this scarecrow who in actuality was a guy named Hunk or the farmhand in the beginning of the movie. So she sees Hunk uh, as a scarecrow up on, you know, scarecrow pole. He's up in the air. And the scarecrow says something to Dorothy. And uh, she turns around and says, oh, I thought I heard something. So they engage in a conversation. And ultimately, she helps him off of that pole. And he falls to the ground, the scarecrow. And he says, wow, you know, that's great. And this is, life is so good. But the only thing is I don't have a brain. So I'm not smart enough to do anything. If only had a brain. So now what ends up happening is between him, uh, the scarecrow, the cowardly lion, and the tin man, each of them are short of something. And they're going to be seeking that from the Wizard of Oz. Because what happens is they they, they engage in conversation. And what, this, what a Dorothy says is that, you know, she's going to the Emerald City to see the Wizard of Oz. And he's magical and he can do, all you know, everything. You know, like in other words, they're looking... For these things that they need to find within themselves, they're looking for it in something external, which is the Wizard of Oz. But that's the movie. That shows how most people go through their life. They're seeking answers to deep questions they need to answer from within themselves. They're seeking answers from that from the approval of other people or something external from themselves, right? So she's traveling down and she sees this st the straw man. So he says, if I only had a brain, body, body. So as they progress forward, the next person that they see is the, if I'm not mistaken, it's the Tin Man. And the Tin Man, his whole thing is that he doesn't have a heart. So he's just mechanical. He's with no emotion, with no driving, no purpose in life. And he's just hollow inside with no heart. So that's what he's seeking from the wizard. And then the last character that they see, is, and again, these three guys, they play farmhands on the, you know, in the beginning of the movie. So this is their transition through existence. So the cowardly lion pops up and he's like roaring and he's really mad and he's really playing a role that he's so dangerous and he's going to attack them. Come on, let's go. And if you listen to it real closely, it's basically an old Brooklyn accent from, you know, 
from the 30s, you know. And, uh, come on, you know, let's get it, guys. So, um, I order, you know, that kind of shit. So, the cowardly lion pops up, and uh, he doesn't have courage. What, because what ends up happening is he's threatening everybody, but he steps up to Dorothy, and Dorothy smacks him in the nose. And he's like, why'd you do that? Heavens to Murgatroyd. So, which is Snagglepuss. <laughs> so, for those of you who know, you know. The cartoon. So... I think he did the voice of Snaggle Pussy sound just like that. So, long story short, the, the line has no courage. So he says, yeah, we'll have to see the wizard and he's going to be able to give you courage and he's going to be able to give the, the Tin Man a heart and he's going to be able to give the Scarecrow a brain. So they continue on their path down or they transition from lower consciousness to higher consciousness. So, interesting part of the movie as the, all four of them, now there's four altogether, going down the Yellow Brick Road, which is Dorothy, the Tin Man the Scarecrow and the Lion, as they're on their way to the Emerald City, they come across this huge poppy field and everybody knows what, you know, poppy is used for. And in essence, what ends up happening and what this represents to me, the poppy field is apathy in mankind, you know, like you being lazy and not living a life of purpose and just slouching around and, you know, drugged up all day or just not contributing anything to life just being a freeloader in life man not doing anything and what ends up happening is dorothy the lion and toto all three end up falling asleep metaphorically and actually in this poppy field you know and it starts snowing and all of a sudden the the, the three of them wake up and they continue on their journey to the emerald city to see the wizard of oz that's going to help them with everything so they get up they finally get up from their sleep dorothy the lion and toto get up from their sleep and they all continue down to this emerald city until uh, they get to the doorway whereby the guy that plays the other six characters in the, mo the movie the wizard guy says well you know he's the doorkeeper the gatekeeper he goes who are you and he lets him in and uh, once he lets them in, a carriage driver, which is the same character as the wizard and the other, you know, he plays six characters, picks him up and he goes, you know, he has a blue horse and goes, oh, that's a horse of a different color. So he ends up taking them to meet the wizard, but ultimately the wizard said he's, he cannot meet them. So to make a long story short, they keep putting up a fuss, but you notice Dorothy is consistently, even though everything presents itself as you know, uber powerful and uber up there and uber out of everybody's reach. She is very plain and straightforward and just, you know, deals with everything the way it needs to be dealt with. It just, she expresses herself truly, you know, and authentically. And so he says, oh, the the, um, the wizard can't see us. And what do you mean the wizard can't see us? You know, whatever. And like, she would always stand up to everything. They finally end up getting to meet the wizard. So he comes out and he's like a hologram and he's like, oh, I'm the great wizard and, you know, how dare you step in front of me and everything like that. And Dorothy says, well, you know, he needs a heart, he needs courage and he needs a brain, you know, and I want to get back to Kansas. So the wizard is like, oh, you know, I am the great wizard and this is all, you know. So finally, the wizard says to them, I cannot do anything for you and the only way I can is if you get me the Wicked Witch of the West broom, her broom which means to kill her and get the broom and bring it back. That's the only way that witch is going to give that broom up. And he knows that. So he's afraid to actually deal with this wicked witch of the West. So he tries to put somebody else out in front of him to do it for him because he's unable really to do anything. He's inept, right? All he does is pull levers and 
such and press buttons and there's nothing he can do. He's just an illusion, you know? He's, you know, fear or whatever it is that um, we perceive as being much higher than us has zero capability. So he puts them up and says, hey, you know, in order for me to do these things for you, you need to go and get me the Wicked Witch of the West Broom, which they turn around and go out and they go after the Wicked Witch of the West, at which point as they're getting close to the Wicked Witch of the West house, this Wicked Witch of the West has an army of flying monkeys that have wings on. I'm telling you, this movie's crazy. So these monkeys fly across, and they're big monkeys, like human size. They scoop up Dorothy and fly away with her and Toto, and they take off. And they bring her to the Wicked Witch house, and the Wicked Witch has a, you know, time, a sand, uh, one of them sand clocks, you know, with sand, and she flips it upside down, and she goes, oh, when this sand reaches the bottom, you know, you're going to be dead and all this, right? She's threatening her because she wants the ruby shoes, and she wants to kill Toto and Dorothy. So long story short, the Tin Man... The Cowardly Lion and the Scarecrow guy uh, realize, well, Toto escapes. Actually, Toto escapes from the Wicked Witch's house. Again, Toto, the Tao, escapes away, runs away, and finds the three, the other three that are outside, the Scarecrow and such. And the Scarecrow, the Lion, and the Tin Man beat up three monkeys and take their uniforms away and you know, plan to get into the house because Toto's directing them to go where Dorothy is to save Dorothy. Toto's directing them. So they sneak to the back of, you know, in line with the flying monkeys because they have this uniform. They look like a flying monkey part of the army themselves. So they get in line and they sneak into the house and they start calling off for Dorothy and Dorothy yells back, yeah, I'm over here, help me out. So the Tin Man grabs, uh, the he walks around with the axe. So he axed the door down. He chopped it down with his axe. And uh, as they ran in to rescue Dorothy, out of nowhere, um, the Wicked Witch jumps up and she has like her broom in front of her. And she goes, oh, what are you guys trying to do? And aren't you scared of me? And she lights the broom on fire and she pushes it toward the Scarecrow to light him on fire because he's all made of straw. And Dorothy, the way she reacts is she grabs a bucket of water and throws it to turn off the Scarecrow. But simultaneously, she ends up getting most of the water on the Wicked Witch of the West. And the Wicked Witch of the West jumps up and says, oh, I am melting. And she started melting and that was it. She just melted away to a puddle of nothing. In other words, when you face your fear, you know, and throw a metaphorical um, self-consciousness into the equation, realizing who you are, the fear melts away. Because there's nothing that can really hurt you. Only the perception of it hurting you or you hurting, allowing it to hurt you, right? Because you're making that connection to something negative. Don't, don't connect to it, right? Don't attach to it. So Dorothy throws this water to rescue the straw man from burning up because of the fire that the Wicked Witch of the West is putting out. The water gets onto the Wicked Witch of the West and she's, she's I'm melting and she's, she melts away and she's gone. She's dead. And her broom is left there. So Dorothy grabs the broom and says, oh, can I take this broom or whatever? So yeah, and they end up running back to the Emerald City, to the Wizard of Oz, and they present this broom to the Wizard of Oz. And, you know, they says, here's here's the broom. Can you now do this for me or could you do that for me? But again, he's inept. He cannot do anything and they're seeking something from him. But what he does do, I'll give him credit on this. He says, he knows psychology. He says to the um, to the straw man, you know, you, you're a straw man and you're saying that you don't have a brain, but you know what I'm going to give you? Everybody that has a brain, what they have is a diploma. They have a degree. 
So he has a scrolled up piece of paper in a scroll and he hands it to him. And there's a bunch of them that he has in his hand and he gives them one. He goes, now you have a diploma. Now you have a brain. So the straw man starts quoting hypothesis and mathematical equations and stuff. And now he has a brain and it's the power of suggestion. You know, if you think you're stupid, you're going to be stupid. If you feel that you're smart, you're going to be smart. You know, you're going to, you're going to express what you think you are. Then the lion pops up and he goes, you know, I have no courage or whatever. Well, you know, the wizard says, if you have no courage, then I'm going to give you a medal. And he gives him a medal and now he has courage. And so that's fine. And then the Tin Man, he gives him a clock that's shaped like a heart that ticks. And he goes, I'll give you this. And it ticks and it's a heart. And now they all feel good. Now, just to back up the truck a little bit before all of this happens, when when Dorothy and the other three come to talk to the wizard, he says, I don't have time to see you. I don't have time to see you. And what ends up happening is Toto, again, Toto runs up and pulls the curtain, uh, the metaphorical and literal curtain that's covering up the wizard. So when Toto pulls the curtain back, like a movie theater curtain, you see the wizard, this guy, with these levers and buttons and paddles and everything like that, trying to control everything and make these illusions up. And they see him for who he, who he actually is, and they confront him and they say, hey, you know, you're supposed to be the wizard. And he goes, you know what, you're right and everything. You know, it's interesting the way that goes down. So he gives them, you know, the the clock uh, heart, the diploma, and the medal of honor for the lion. And, you know, everybody's happy there. And... So ultimately what the uh, Wizard of Oz says to Dorothy, she, she's like, I want to go back home because the other three guys are fine now. They have what they wanted. But Dorothy's whole thing is she just wants to go home. So the wizard says, you know, I'm a balloonist. And, you know, understand this was written in 1900, the original book. So he goes, you know, I, I know how to fly balloons and I'm a master of doing it. So it shows them, you know, it cuts to the scene. And then the next scene is Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz on a balloon. But, um... The Wizard of Oz has has no idea how to fly a balloon. He's he's full of it, right? So Toto again, Toto jumps out of the balloon basket, and Dorothy chases him. And the uh, Galinda character, the the one that represents goodness, the, the what do you call it, the fairy, Galinda comes back and says, "Well, you know, if you want to go home." All, all along, I mean, this has always been the case. All you have to do is click your heels three times and say, there's no place like home. And you'll be transformed back to home. So, and then she says something to the effect of, you know, you've always had it within you and you've always had this ability, but you're just discovering it now. But in order to discover that, you have to go through these trials and tribulations that she went through, you know, with the flying monkeys and everything. So she clicks her heels and she uh, says, there's no place like home. And she... She ends up back home, you know, and uh, here's the weird part. It's like, you don't know if she was just sleeping, if she, if she dreamt all of this up, did all of this really happen? So it's amazing the way they represent this, uh, the way the movie unfolds. So this is actually, I'll probably end up watching it a second time because I notice if a movie's real good, I'll end up wanting to watch it two times. But the allegory and the metaphor and the meaning that's embedded within this movie is amazing, man. So watch it, you know, take your time and, you know, you know, you're listening to this first, watch the movie, gives you some ideas of what to look for, and then watch it a second time, which I plan on doing at some point. So I do want to thank you for listening and praise Jesus Christ's name.
Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history, great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist. I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com. My Instagram is alphamalebuddhist. And check out my YouTube channel, Alpha Male Buddhist, and that's on YouTube. It is the podcast accompanied with video clips that integrate exactly with the podcast, so it's motivational and inspirational. I also have promotional t-shirts. If you go to my website, alphamalebuddhist.podbean.com, you can see the promotional t-shirts there. Reach out to me. Also, if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast, just reach out and see if I can get that done. I've been getting some really great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening and namaste.